0: Was to follow up a side B or a, a B, a part B to last week's teaching. Last week, does anybody remember what last week's sermon was titled? Sorry, but quiz. What was last week's sermon titled? That's a cruel thing for a preacher to ask. <laughs> Human. It was the human, yeah, now I'm, let's watch me forget it. The, uh, the, The human factor, that's what it was, the human factor. And so we talked about the human factor, this sense that human beings have a responsibility to use our agency, our freedom, to make a difference in the world. And the second piece of that, which was really inseparable from last week's conversation, is that there is this partnership, this divine human partnership. Last week was emphasizing the human side of that partnership, but this week I want to touch on the God side of that partnership. It's second, not because of importance, but because of bigger importance. I thought I would end with the big side, the good side, and start with the tougher one last week. We're going to begin with something fascinating in Scripture that comes up in a couple of passages. And so follow with me. We're beginning in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3, around the time of the baptism of Jesus. This is an introduction. John the Baptist is about to say something, and here are introductory words to what's about to come now as the people were in expectation and all reasoned in their hearts about John whether he was the Christ or not John answered saying to all so the people see what's happening they're watching the ministry of John the Baptist and their their curiosity and interest is growing What's going on, John? Are you the one we've been looking for all along? And so John has something to say, and here's what he says. I indeed baptize you with water, but one mightier than I is coming, whose sandal strap I am not worthy to unloose. Now, I want you to notice especially the next sentence that John speaks, he will baptize you with what? The Holy Spirit Spirit and fire. So John the Baptist says, Messiah's coming. He's going to baptize you. I'm just the one baptizing you with the water of repentance, which it says elsewhere. But the one coming is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and fire. So there's this prophetic word from John the Baptist about an event that is just over the horizon. Now we go to the baptism of Jesus, and we're still in the book of Luke, Luke chapter 3. When all the people were baptized, it came to pass that Jesus also was baptized. Now watch your screen very closely. And while he prayed... The heaven was open. So what happens? Heaven's open. Something is about to happen of great significance, and we find it in the next verse. And the Holy Spirit descended in bodily form like a dove. And where was it? Upon who? Jesus. Upon Jesus. And a voice came from heaven which said, You are my beloved Son, in you I am well pleased. Okay, so important. We're going to see this reinforced in the next text, but take note. John the Baptist's prophecy is the one coming after me, referring to Jesus, is going to baptize you with the Holy Spirit and with fire. And then at the baptism, heaven opens, the Holy Spirit descends and anoints who? Jesus. It's interesting. It does not anoint the disciples. It anoints Jesus. Follow this logic very carefully as we watch this develop in Scripture. Now we're moving to Acts chapter 1. This little piece caught my attention in the very introductory verses of Acts. The former account I made, O Theophilus, of all that Jesus began both to do and to teach until the day in which He was taken up, after He, through the Holy Spirit, had given commandments to the apostles whom He had chosen. Interesting. Who is guiding the life of Jesus? The Holy Spirit. Remember, at the baptism the holy spirit comes down fills jesus jesus goes into the wilderness and then he begins his mission and then here in the introduction of acts we find that jesus work is unfolding under the guidance of the holy spirit luke excuse me luke notices specifically jesus is unmistakably carrying out his role as head of humanity. This is not a theological idea that I'm going to get into this morning, but just to say in summary, Jesus stepped into the role, as Paul says in 1 Corinthians 15, as the second Adam. Jesus took on this role as a son of man. That, in fact, was his favorite term, son of man, referring to himself. Jesus took on this role of being brother to humanity. And He took on this role as also being, in a sense, the Father, the new Father of humanity. When on the riverbank Jesus received the Holy Spirit, He was receiving it in that head of humanity role as the first of human recipients to receive the Holy Spirit in the sense that it was received. This isn't to say that the Holy Spirit wasn't present working in the human story. You find it, although it's interesting that you do see Jesus showing up more often in the old story, and the Holy Spirit is kind of in the background. Again, not the first time the Holy Spirit shows up, but there is something transitioning during and at the end of Jesus' ministry, and that's what I want you to see. There is a transition, major inflection point in human history that's taking place that we're watching. Jesus also, as He's on earth, achieves his singular act of saving humanity. There is no way, and this needs to be very clear this morning, there's no way in which you or I contribute to the saving work of Jesus. Amen? Yeah. We talked about human beings being, being engaged in the redemptive work of God, but let's be clear, that is not the same thing as the saving work of Jesus. In other words, we are saved through gra- by grace through faith in Christ alone, full stop, period. Jesus' life, death, and resurrection is a saving act, the singular saving act. We don't participate in that saving act. But, and this may be a little bit awkward. I I read this slide after it was uploaded. It's a little bit awkward, but this kicks us back to last week. Building the kingdom, a big theme in the book of Matthew, is a mission of which His mission was the microcosm. Does that make sense now? So there is a sense in which the saving work of Jesus, not a sense, the saving work of Jesus is His singular act, period. But the bigger mission of kingdom building, there's a sense in which the life of Jesus was a microcosm of what the church, God's people, are intended to be Globally, Does that make sense? Not the saving act, but the participatory act of spreading the message. You'll remember last week we, we had Matthew 28. Go ye therefore and make disciples of all the nations. So the church, clearly the people of God do have this active role. That was the primary focus last week of the human factor. There is a sense in which we are direct participants under the Holy Spirit for the global expansion of the kingdom and in this mission context Jesus ministry was a microcosm he was the head of humanity received the Holy Spirit and then Isaiah 61 is fulfilled in his life He reads it, first church service back in Nazareth after his baptism, reads Isaiah 61, how the Spirit of the Lord is on him, and he's come to set the captives free, to give sight to the blind, to preach the good news, etc. His life is an example of what the church is meant to do. It's a microcosm of the church's mission. Does that make any sense to you? This morning. You can see how last week and this week are now starting to tie together. The next passage this morning, we're finding ourselves in the book of John. And I want you to remember again this idea that Jesus is is acting in a, a transitional time frame where he's received the Holy Spirit as head of humanity. And now as we move into the gospel of John chapter 20, we're going to find that this transition from the the ministry of Jesus being just His ministry toward a global kingdom building ministry, the transition is taking place. We begin to see the pieces of that as we move into John 20. Follow with me closely. Mary, by the way, is the one being spoken to here. Mary had gone to the tomb, found it empty, and she's weeping and turns to the gardener says, I don't know where he's at. They've moved him. And then the gardener speaks, and it's the voice of Jesus. And then he gives her this instruction, do not cling to me, for I have not what? I have not yet ascended. Interesting here. Now, you might think that this is a reference to the ascension referenced in Matthew chapter 28. But the next words in the passage reveal that this is not a future ascension, but a, an imminent ascension. Follow with me. I have not yet ascended to my Father, but go to them, the disciples. This is resurrection morning. Sunday morning, resurrection morning. Go to the disciples and say to them, give them this message. I what? Am ascending. So interesting. Mary sees him right after his resurrection near the tomb in the garden. Jesus says, Hey, hold off your worship. Don't cling to me. We can't celebrate yet. We can't celebrate yet. I haven't been to see my father. And then he says, Go tell the disciples, that's exactly what I'm doing. So interesting. Jesus has this inter this this brief ascension to heaven and then comes back to earth immediately following His resurrection and this encounter with Mary. And we'll finish the verse here because it's beautiful. I am ascending to my Father and what? Your Father, to my God and your God, clearly owning His solidarity with humanity. I'm going there on our behalf your behalf as your representative you can see jesus is clearly operating again in his head position representative of the human race he's now going to have a conversation with the father which helps this next piece of text in matthew 28 make a little more sense now we're going to look at introductory words to that and then the text itself. Here are those introductory words, Matthew 28, 16. Then the 11 disciples went away into Galilee to the mountain which Jesus had appointed for them. Now, before you get confused, this is days later. This is not the, the resurrection morning, meet me at such and such a place. This is ascension morning, meet me such and such a place. Okay, so there are different... Gathering points. There was the first gathering point you just talked about to Mary at the resurrection. They've already done that. This is the final gathering. So, just a heads up: final gathering. They're gathered there, and then Jesus begins his final words, final words according to the Gospel of Matthew. All authority, and what does the text say? Has what? Has what? Is that past or future tense? So here's the deal Jesus, at his encounter with Mary, had not yet been given that full authority. And so he ascends to his father to confirm that this thing is all worked out, to confirm, confer whatever details, whatever covenant confirmation needed to happen he's gone there to confirm it and when he comes back just before he ascends he can then tell his disciple disciples officially all power has been given to me in heaven and on earth my sacrifice was fully successful i achieved that objective and so i have all authority in heaven and on earth so now we can go about the mission and then you have those famous words and I'll put the first part of them here on the screen for you. For you. Therefore, go and make to say, See this. Jesus comes as head of humanity, receives the Holy Spirit, does his work under the guidance and through the ministry of the Holy Spirit. And then there's that conversation with Mary where he says, don't touch me, don't, don't, just, I got to go see my Father. And so then he goes up, then he tells the disciples all authority has been given to me. Now therefore go. Do your mission, expand the kingdom. With one caveat according to the gospel of, according to Acts. Writer of Luke writes this Jesus speaking, you shall receive power when the Holy Spirit has come upon you. So Matthew 28 doesn't include detail. Jesus says, All powers have been given to me. Go do your mission. But then Luke includes this fine print detail where Jesus gave the disciples instruction to wait. Yes, He had all authority, but there was a brief waiting time and they were to wait for the power of the Holy Spirit. When the Holy Spirit came upon them, then they would be what? Witnesses, Witnesses, that's right, to me in Jerusalem and in all Judea and Samaria and to the end of the earth. Now you've seen those pieces coming together. So now the commission goes out, the the, the instruction to wait happens. We're going to come in a little bit to the giving of the Holy Spirit on Pentecost and kind of follow that through just a bit. But before we go there, I want to look at a couple of Jesus' words preparing the disciples for His departure, which are very insightful into the work of the Holy Spirit and into this transition from Jesus as kind of the microcosm of the church's mission into the church in full-on mission. Here they are. The first one is John 16. We're backtracking a little bit. This is pre-crucifixion. This is conversation on the night of the Last Supper. Jesus has told them, I'm leaving. And so now He follows up with this because I have said these things to you sorrow has filled your heart nevertheless I tell you the truth it is to your advantage that I go away for if I do not go away the helper will what will not come to you but if I depart I will send him to you. Jesus highlighting this inflection point in history. There was a necessary transition. He had to go so the Holy Spirit could come in a unique and powerful way to lead to empower the mission of kingdom building that Jesus had given to his people. But if I depart, I will... What's the last few words? Send him to you. And then this. It's a little bit earlier in the conversation, but it's related. 14:12 of the book of Gospel of John. Most assuredly I say to you, he who believes in me, the works that I do, he will do also, and what kind of works? Greater works than these he will do. Why? Because I go to my Father. So Jesus' ascension, sitting with His Father, holding all power, opens the door then for the global community of believers to be powered by the Holy Spirit. And so that the microcosm mission ministry of Jesus can now become the global ministry of Jesus through his people under the power of the Holy Spirit. Do you see how this goes from Jesus receiving the Holy Spirit, succeeding in his mission, and then transitioning to the Holy Spirit now using the people of God to expand the kingdom globally. So, the human factor, yes, human beings have Responsibility to use their human freedom, especially for the advancement of the kingdom. But according to Jesus, we don't do that alone. It's okay to say amen. There's an unmistakable sense in which the mission of God is now in the hands of believers. And I use the word sense there on purpose because the Bible's clear that we do serve a sovereign God. So this is not saying that the, that the mission is entirely abandoned to human hands. But there is a sense, and again, something that was highlighted last week, in which the mission of God is now in human hands. Jesus has ascended and, and given His disciples work to do and that is work that's carried along by the power of the Holy Spirit. There are two ways in which the Holy Spirit, Jesus says, supports the work. We're going to look at those two ways briefly. The first one is John 16. John 16, verse 12. I still have, what does it say? Many things to say to you, but you cannot hear them now. So how in the world are they going to learn about the things that they can't handle learning about before His departure? Well, if you're reading the text, you can see that there's a quick answer. However, when He, the Spirit of truth, has come, He will guide you into all truth. Isn't that incredible? So here is Jesus telling his followers, there's lots of things that you've got to learn, lots of things that I would like to tell you, but you can't handle them now. This is beyond either what you have the capacity to understand or beyond what you have the emotional capacity to take in. There's a lot more to learn. When the Holy Spirit comes... He will be your guide teaching you, instructing you. Amen? Amen. So the Holy Spirit in this sense, the Holy Spirit is given church side for the people of God to learn and grow. And I don't know about you, but that's a pretty incredible promise. How often do you think about needing the Holy Spirit in navigating your life's choices? How often do you think about the incredible gift of supernatural companionship in navigating life? We're not talking about calling your best friend up on the phone or your mentor. We're talking about God. The Holy Spirit, personally available as a companion, and I deliberately used the, the title companion in mission, or I think that's what it was, companion in mission, something like that. The companion idea because that's the intent of the Holy Spirit, to come alongside you in the journey. To help you process through those puzzling things. Doesn't mean you don't have to put in hard mental work, and it doesn't even mean that the hard mental work will end here. But you'll have a companion to help you along from one place of understanding to another place of understanding, growing your faith, growing your your grasp of the big God ideas, because after all, you're a witness. So the Holy Spirit helps to cement and expand and instruct and and build it more robust. That is your witness. So that that witness, you know, Ezekiel says that the Holy Spirit comes in a transforming work so that our lives become more reflective of God's purpose. The Holy Spirit's the one who puts God's way in our lives or... New Covenant says, I'll write my laws on their hearts. That's Holy Spirit work. Is that deep work. So the Holy Spirit does, does stuff with our minds and insight to help us in understanding. The Holy Spirit's also working, I think, at our subconscious level, helping shift things, helping bring stuff to our attention. This companion who helps build us and develop us and grow us into the likeness of Christ. And that's the missionary side, working on the church, the mission people. There's a second side of the Holy Spirit. By the way, under this side also comes, as Paul says, the gifts of the Holy Spirit. Some people have evangelism, some people have gifts of healing, wisdom, etc. So the gifting of the Holy Spirit for the work of ministry also falls under this, not in the same sense, but it is also this side of church side Holy Spirit work, believer-side Holy Spirit work, where we're learning, growing, and gifted for the work of ministry. By the way, that's incredible. I just, I, I, you know, to think that the mission God has called you to, He's willing to gift you for. There are plenty of times, especially lately, where, where I feel, and you see it, how inadequate I am, and, and I think in one of the areas I feel it is in the teaching work, the preaching work, and like how do I put all these pieces together, and I have been experiencing pretty consistently a sense of rest around God working with me, that this is not my work, it's His work. And that is for all of us. No matter what your work is, whether you know a mom or a dad wrestling with young kids, you can rest in the teaching ministry of the Holy Spirit. A teacher in a classroom, all those young minds going all over the place, you can trust the Holy Spirit to be present to help you teach them math and English and about Jesus. Or a boss, Managing partners or managing employees or the girls in the dorm or a school. could name off. Clients, whatever, you name it. The Holy Spirit is there to be your companion. Like you can press into the ministry of the Holy Spirit because you are not left alone. Part of this transition thing for Jesus was if Jesus doesn't leave the presence is in, in, it must have been in some very real sense, His presence is restricted. There is one Jesus because now he's, he's taken on human form. There's only one place that Jesus goes for dinner. And as many as the rest of you might want to have Jesus over for dinner tonight, there's only one house He's actually going to go to. And unless the whole church shows up there, you're the only family who gets to hang out with Jesus for dinner. But when he ascended and the Holy Spirit came, now we can all have dinner with the presence of God. And so there is this transition from a located Christ to a universally present companion. And I think that's part of what Jesus had in mind when he said, you'll do greater things. Because now it's not just you and the disciples, you know, you and the, and the twelve walking with Jesus into a town. Now it's you're walking with the Holy Spirit, and they're walking with the Holy Spirit, and everywhere the believers of God are, the Holy Spirit is present with them in the sense, and I think, we could say probably pretty safely the same sense in which Jesus was present with the disciples. Now the presence of God is multiplied in a practical, realistic sense from just being one location to now every place where ministry is taking place, God is with them. Again, it's not like God wasn't present with the disciples when Jesus sent out the 72, but there is this sense of transition in which now the Holy Spirit is operating in kind of a new arena in enabling and empowering the mission of the church. Now for the second piece. The one working church side, believer side, now the Holy Spirit, when He has come, Jesus said, He will convict the world of sin and of righteousness and of judgment to come. Of sin, because they do not believe in Me, of righteousness, because I go to My Father and you see Me no more, of judgment, because the ruler of this world is judged. Now, this statement of Jesus clearly has both church side and world side, but there is a sense in which Jesus specifically brings up that the ministry of the Holy Spirit is also to the unbelieving world, drawing their hearts. So, in other words, God is preparing the missionary and the mission territory, So when you're sitting with God, connecting with Jesus, basking in God's love, allowing the Holy Spirit to minister to you, He is also out in the mission field preparing you to minister, I'm sorry, preparing the folks you'll come across for the encounter that's about to happen. It's a double-sided ministry where God is in the mix on both sides. And so here it is, thus the Holy Spirit is a companion in mission on two levels, growing believers, including the gifts of the Holy Spirit, and advancing the mission among non-believers. Here is the certainty, we do not do mission alone. We do not do mission alone, and that's whether you're, listen, don't limit this to, okay, when I sit down and try to give someone a Bible study, the Holy Spirit's going to be there. Yes, for sure. But when you reach across the fence to shake your neighbor's hand, the Holy Spirit is going to be there. When you're baking cookies in your oven, the Holy Spirit is active or desires to be active in your life there and in the life of the people who may get the cookies. So don't ever get the sense that the Holy Spirit is restricting to some kind of spiritual work. Yes, it's spiritual work, but it doesn't necessarily have to feel spiritual to be spirit-bathed and spirit-powered work. Every encounter, every moment of our life is a spiritual moment, even if it's turning a nut on your car. In the sense that, We're always developing and growing and preparing for the next thing. We're always in the moment trying to learn to be like God and not get angry with the stupid, stubborn, rusty bolts on the car. You see, the ministry of the Holy Spirit is not restricted to these spiritual moments, but all of life is intended to be bathed in the Spirit as God develops us in the mundane and in the not mundane. There is a sense in which all of life is sacred and God is at work in all of it. Now, almost wrapped up here, but we got to take a peek at the giving of the Holy Spirit, Acts chapter 2. Not a long peek, just a short peek, beginning of the mission. They're supposed to wait. Well, they've waited And in this text, it's breaking loose. When the day of Pentecost had fully come, they were all with one accord in one place, and suddenly there came the sound. Excuse me there. Let me get back to my place. Suddenly there came a sound from heaven as of a rushing mighty wind, and it filled the whole house where they were sitting. It's interesting. Jesus at His baptism, what opened up? The heavens opened up, the Holy Spirit came down Jesus, and so you have a similar moment here in the early church. From heaven, the Holy Spirit comes and fills the house where they're sitting. Then there appeared to them divided tongues as of fire, and one sat upon each of them. And they were all filled with the Holy Spirit and began to speak with other tongues as the Spirit gave them utterance. The Holy Spirit showing up on Pentecost in the lives of the believers to advance the mission of Jesus. Now the mission's breaking out. In fact, the harvest is just beginning to come in. If you look at Jesus' life, you would say, if you measure it by any modern metrics, pretty much a failure. Because when he died, there was only a handful of people that even hung around the cross. And most of the people around the cross were making fun of him. Only a hand, a small number of those were actually believers. But when the Holy Spirit breaks out among the disciples, the harvest that Jesus has been sowing begins to come in, and we find that here later on in the chapter with many other words. He testified. This is Peter who's testifying and exhorted them, saying, Be saved from this perverse generation. Then those who gladly received his word were baptized, and that day, about how many? 3,000 souls were added to them. So the church under the ministry of the Holy Spirit begins to grow and explode with power. Now, I'm getting to the wrap-up. James calls our attention to an interesting agricultural phenomenon that is related to the work of the Holy Spirit. And I'm going to show it to you right here, James chapter 5. Therefore, be patient. Until the coming of the Lord, see how the farmer waits for the precious fruit of the earth, waiting patiently for it until it receives the early and the latter rain. There is agricultural phenomenon, especially in the Middle East. The seed would be planted and then the farmers waited for the rain to come and germinate the seed in the ground. And then it would kind of not be so wet, and that would grow, the crop would grow. And then closer to harvest time, the farmer would wait again for another set of showers that would help push the crop to final maturity. It wasn't, this, this wasn't showers on harvest day. This was showers a, a little time before harvest that was still ripening, still green, but getting close and that rain would come and help plump up those grains help move the nutrients in the soil up into the grains before final before harvest James alludes to this and he says that the people of God need to be patient patient all the way until the return of Jesus like a farmer who waits for a crop and then he refers to that agricultural event the rain to start the seed and the rain, to push the harvest to its final ripe point. In the life of the church, then, we have Pentecost as early rain. Get that seed growing. That seed's been growing and and maturing, you know, a little sketchy history, but it's been happening over time. Now, if the metaphor stands, as apparently James says it does, then the people of God can expect Pentecost number two, or more technically, the latter rain. Here's the thing. You and I are living at a time in human history when God's getting ready to send the Holy Spirit in a unique way to finish the maturing of the harvest. To finish the maturing of the harvest. Now Holy Spirit's going to show up in two ways. Number, Teacher, help us cross into deeper territory in our understanding of the story of God. And I think that's part of what we saw even back in 1888, for those of you familiar with Adventist history, when there was a surge of awareness of the gospel. Unfortunately, that kind of died down, but that surge, I think, is building, where the story of God, the clarity of the gospel is gaining momentum. That's Holy Spirit work. That's Holy Spirit work connected to the resurgence in the latter reign of the Holy Spirit. That will also be accompanied by the the other side of the work of the Holy Spirit where the Holy Spirit works in a, in a uniquely increased capacity globally to move the hearts of people from darkness to light. You and I are either about to live or are living in the beginning stages of. I don't want you to think about this. Like we, you and I have to be a little careful because the world will end with some people not knowing it's ending till it's ended. Right? So that means you and I could possibly find ourselves in that category where we're waiting for whatever and then all of a sudden we find out that whatever we were waiting for already happened because we were distracted or absorbed or whatever. So we need to be as the people of God Now, number one, not freaked out. If you're seeking God, you won't miss it. But if you're wrapped up, if I'm wrapped up in my ideas and unwilling for the Holy Spirit to open my mind and shift my direction and do His work in my life, then I might find myself with the people who wake up after it's happened. So what I'm saying this morning is be intentional about regularly cultivating connection with God openness, an interest, like make it a point to seek to be in tune with God. So as he's showing up, getting ready to explode on the scenes of earth in a unique final way that you'll be one of those in that explosive final work. Here is a prophetic picture of that explosive work. Revelation 18 After these things I saw another angel coming down from heaven having a great authority and the earth was illuminated with his glory. That's a prophetic depiction of human history, of the human society under the latter rain power of the Holy Spirit where there's this illuminating experience that goes globally. And one more thing. I was doing the study in John, reading through John 13, 14, 15, 16, primarily looking at Jesus teaching on the Holy Spirit. But what I noticed is this, one of the things I noticed, which is what I'm going to call your attention to now, is twice this idea shows up. And I'm going to mention both times, quote the first time, and here it is. Whatever you ask in my name, that I will do, that the Father may be glorified in the Son. If you ask anything in my name, I will do it. The second time is John 16, 23 to 27. And in that passage, Jesus adds that the Father himself wants to respond and do this. This final text for this morning, I'm putting it out there because Jesus, this is given in the context of the church doing the mission of loving each other and being filled with the Holy Spirit, Jesus' final words to the church. In that context, Jesus is saying, whatever you need help with, whatever you need to get this thing rolling, to speak with clarity, to love the people around you, just ask. Whatever you need in doing the mission of God, just Ask. Let's pray. God, thank you so much for the gift of the Holy Spirit. And I ask today that you would help us to seek that Spirit, to seek to live every day aligned with you, that you would help us to be aware of the times and we're distracted that we would press into Jesus so that we can experience in an increasing way the wonderful companionship of the Holy Spirit. In Jesus' name, amen. We hope you were blessed by today's message. For more content or to connect with us, visit us online at brunswickadventist.church.